some background on episode six before we get into it. I was introduced to Kurt Jordan a few months ago, and after hearing what he has going on at his company, I thought it would be a good conversation to bring back Forrest Weber and have both of us sit with Jordan and interview him about his new real estate firm, Jordan Multifamily. Kurt has syndicated a few deals here locally in DFW that we get into. He also runs us through how he does what he does and why he does it. We also pull out of him exactly how hard he works uh, to get the types of returns that he does for his investors. Uh, he also gets into how he once raised $3.5 million over a long weekend and why he wants his real estate transactions to mean just as much uh, to everybody involved as it does the investors. Enjoy. back for podcast number six. Uh, this is episode six of Let's Hear It. I have got two real estate professionals for this episode. This is going to be a lot of fun. One of which you know, Forrest, thanks for coming back, making the drive up and uh, joining me again. You're welcome, but more importantly, thank you. Our very special guest, Kurt, thanks for jumping on. No, I appreciate the invite. I'm glad to be talking some real estate with you guys and just helping out in any way that I can. This is going to be great because this is going to be real estate focused, but also we're going to really hone in on your company, Jordan Multifamily. So I'm excited to hear about that and how the whole thing got started and what you're up to now. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Did you think there'd be this much equipment is probably my first question for you. <laughs> no, it's my first podcast. so I do this with everybody, but if you can, try and talk a little bit closer to the mic. You bet. There we go. All right. So... Kurt, can we just kick things off with you talking about the company that you're running, uh, CEO, owner, operator, uh, Jordan Multifamily? Sure. So Jordan Multifamily is my company. Uh, basically, what we do is we purchase uh, multifamily assets. So your apartment buildings that you see as you're just driving down the streets, you see an apartment building. Um, most of those apartments are actually owned by corporations like mine. Um, there's different ways to uh, purchase these buildings, and, and the way that we do it is uh, by syndication. So essentially, uh, there is an operator or a general partner that essentially ties these deals up. When they're on the market, they purchase them, and then they uh, bring on investors to basically help purchase these assets. Just apartment complexes, or is it really any time that you come across a deal that that you think is a good investment, you're going to pull the trigger on. Like, do so, you, do you, do you, but my question is: Is do you specify in a certain type of real estate class? Maybe that's is that the right way to phrase it. Yep, that's true. So you can uh, purchase all different kinds of assets. There's uh, hotels, there's office buildings, but my family specifically focuses on multifamily assets. Uh, so my company has been around for uh, about two years now, uh, and over the last two years, we've purchased three apartment complexes, and we have another three that are currently uh, under contract that we will be purchasing here, or that we will be completing and, and closing on here in the next couple of months. You Okay, so it's you've been doing this for two years. That's correct. What were you doing before? So I graduated from A&M in 2009. An another reason why you're on the pod. That's right, because I'm with some fellow Aggies here. <laughs> 
so I graduated from school in 2009 from A&M. Uh, with a finance degree, and as you guys can probably remember, 2009 was not a great time to be graduating with a finance degree, uh, with the whole market crash. I do remember that. Yep, it's a tough time. So with my finance degree, I actually got a job in accounting, so I did that for a couple of years, and then I uh, joined a tax consulting firm in 2012, and was there for almost eight years. Uh, got to be a, a manager at that company. Um, had a team of uh, individuals working underneath me and was doing really well, but uh, kind of got to the point where um, the hour commitment was a little much. I have a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and uh, it just it was it was tough to um, be present for them. And uh, what you and actually all three of us can agree on is when you have kids that young, um, time is a premium. Yeah, yeah, and it's like the center of a lot of wealth building pursuits that people have, I think actually center around family values and stuff too. Yeah. So I was working a lot of hours at this, at this company and, uh, and it's, it's not that I don't mind working. I actually really like to work, but I wanted, um, to kind of control my hours more. And I kind of felt that the entrepreneurial route, uh, while I could be working more hours, uh, I wanted to be able to control the hours that I was working. Um, and, and be there present with my with my three and one year old. Speaking of hours, before we hit record here, um, you've got a pretty intense schedule in terms of when you're getting up. What time are you getting up in the mornings? So I get up at four thirty, and uh, I know that's really early for a lot of people. Uh, it's early for myself, but um, so I get up at four thirty. I get ready for the day, and around call five o'clock ish, I, I start. Uh, I, well, I make some coffee, and because um, you got to have coffee at that time in the morning, it's just too early. Uh, but at that time, I start. I I basically read my Bible for uh, probably about thirty minutes or so, and have some uh, prayer time just to kind of get myself ready for the day. And then I'll at that point I'll read basically uh, the business book of some kind. I, I have an, I have a goal for myself to read 30 books a year. So, uh, in order to get 30 books a year, I have to pretty much kind of commit like an hour or so in the morning to, to, to get through that. But around seven o'clock or so, uh, my family is, is up at that point and we have breakfast together. So about seven, we essentially every morning we have breakfast together. And, uh, and then around eight o'clock, most mornings I'll go to the gym I got a buddy that I go to the gym with, and, um, and then around 9 o'clock or 9.30 or so, I start my day, and then it's pretty much just going after it from like 9.30 to about, I say, call it 5 o'clock or 5.30, and at that time, I usually shut it down again and uh, have dinner with my family. Um, you know, breakfast and dinner with my family are really important. Um, and then about seven or so, seven, seven thirty, my kids go down. And then from there to about nine or nine thirty, me and my wife will hang out. Sometimes we'll play a game. Sometimes we'll watch a TV show and then I'll get up and do it all over again. I was expecting you to say you got up at four thirty, and then you were just, uh, going through like researching deals, but you're doing all of that within eight hours and you're spending time with family. It's, uh, that's amazing. So yeah, I, I do get up at, at four 30. Um, it's, it's so I can spend the time with my family because I think if I had got, if I get up at seven, then I don't think I, with, with them, I don't think that I can get all the things that I need to get done personally for myself. 
and get the job done and spend it with them. So yep. I do it so um, I can essentially have that time with them because that's important for me. So we um, we were talking a little bit before. I feel like we talked so much before the podcast. Um, it kind of makes this whole conversation a lot more interesting. But you made the decision to leave from your job for a couple of different reasons. What was the thought process and what was it like getting through talking to investors and getting to the point where you could actually execute on that first deal? Yeah, so uh, basically maybe even to back up more. So I, uh, when I was looking at my job, uh, I was... I was pretty successful at the job that I was at. I was there. I was almost there for eight years. I'd, I'd kind of risen the ranks pretty quickly. Um, I was doing fairly well financially, but when I looked at my priorities, uh, I when I look at my priorities, my faith is my number one priority. But I feel like I can do that in any capacity that I do. And my number two priority was my wife. And my number three priority is my family. And then my fourth priority was my job. The problem that I felt was when I was in, in the corporate world was that number four was bumping up against two and three too heavily. And if I really wanted to succeed in that corporate job, then number four was going to maybe have to pass two and three. So when I looked at that, I had to kind of make a decision is like, if I'm going to tell myself that number two and three, my, my wife and my family are, are really number two and three, that I need to execute uh, my... Uh, the way I make a living, um, it, like it needs, it needs to fall in line essentially. So when I looked at the multifamily space, I had already had a deal, a smaller deal at that point in time before I left. And, um, essentially I was like, I can do this. I, I can, I can make this a full-time job. And even though, again, I may work more hours doing this as an entrepreneur, I mean, every entrepreneur will tell you that they work a ton of hours. I felt like I could essentially segment that job um, in a way where I, I, it didn't have to bump up against number two and three. It allowed me to uh, essentially work the hours that I wanted to work. And basically, if 11 o'clock in the morning, like I need to be there for my family, I can be there for my family. I don't have to feel guilty about leaving my team behind or anything like that. I can, I can do the things that I need to do. So you were, that was what I was going to ask again was, um, not again, but how you landed on real estate. So you were already dabbling in it a little bit before, that, before that's you jumped right. in it full time. Yep. So 2016, I bought my first uh, single, well, a duplex, a half of a duplex. And it was right across the street from the half duplex that I was living in. So in 2016, I bought that half duplex and it was a scary jump because uh, I'd never, um, you know, had a single family rental or any kind of rental property. And then uh, that was you know, it kind of got me my first taste into it. And then I, as every real estate investor can tell you, they, they just want, they're ready for the next deal. So 2000, uh, end of uh, 2016, um, me and my wife actually purchased a house in Frisco. And then we left that half duplex uh, as a rental. So then I had two half duplexes basically on the same street. And then in 2017, I bought two more uh, rental houses in Fort Worth. And, uh, at that point I wasn't scaling fast enough. Uh, so I started looking at some other, um, ways to scale essentially. So I looked at some full duplexes and some quadplexes and somehow I ended up on a 35 unit, uh, <laughs> apartment community 
that uh, I was actually going to end up buying with a partner of mine, just just us two in joint venture on it. But I had actually, um, at that point, uh, gone to a coaching program, and they started talking about multifamily syndication. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I was like, well, why don't we just, and I talked to my partner about this, like, why don't we just try to syndicate this deal and just see what happens. I mean, if we yeah. can, if we can, uh, if we can raise the money for it, that's a, uh, that's awesome. But if not, then we'll just buy it ourselves. Like we were intentionally planning on doing. So we, we were able to raise the funds for it, which was just kind of a, a light bulb moment in my, in my mind. I was like, man, I, I can do this. Like, uh, I can, I maybe even do bigger properties than this. Um, so I, I, I learned more in that coaching program and, I uh, just continued on with that. Um, so before you get too far past this, syndication, I had to learn with this. I understand the word syndicate, but in real estate, can you talk to about what that means? You're essentially crowdsourcing, for lack of a better term, uh, the funds to buy the property with different ways of repayment. Is that, is, that, is that the right way to, to put it? Yep. So when you look at basically you're purchasing an asset, there's the equity piece and then there's the debt piece. So just for simplicity's sake, say you buy a million dollar property and you can get 80% uh, debt on it. So you're looking at $800,000 of debt and then that means you need $200,000 to uh, the, the missing piece, the equity piece. And maybe say at that time, I don't have $200,000 or I don't want to put my full 200000 into it. So at that point, I can essentially raise that money from other individuals, still operate the deal, uh, basically hiring property management companies and, and essentially making sure the deal performs well. And then uh, essentially those investors that come in that kind of help us raise the equity piece, I essentially provide returns for them. They, they get to share in the profits of that, of that, of that property. How do you go about getting the, the network for that? How did you go about getting the network for that? So at first it's family and friends only because you don't really have a track record. And so basically, and at that point it's just years and years of building up relationships with people who, and it could be through your, your uh, current employment where people say, Hey, this guy does a good job. I trust this guy. Um, if he feels like it's, it's a good deal, then I, I trust this guy. Um, and then from there, it kind of builds into just track record. Uh, and have you done this before? Um, how have your other deals performed? Um, and you know, and it's referrals too. It's the family and friend friends that are telling their family and friends, Hey, Kurt puts together these deals. Um, they've performed well. Uh, you should, you should talk to him. I want to chime in real quick because I think, you know, part of this, part of this happening came because Kurt and I have been friends for a long time and he basically got to witness the syndication thing that you're talking about happening in what I stumbled into in real estate too. And the key to, to the equation is that there's more value when people gather together to do things together, but you need a really good quarterback and the quarterback needs to have enough integrity that they can be trusted enough competency that they can find good deals and then they need to be in a good market so kurt watched me and i'm, I'm sure he remembered texas a&m undergraduate times when i would try to convince him to do little entrepreneurial endeavors with me and we would find websites that would pay us <laughs> if people would look at pictures of sports cars that we found on the internet 
and Kurt's discipline and integrity just passed mine. So I'm sure he remembered it <laughs> from college. So he's watching me do real estate stuff and he's like, I could do that better. I think I could do that better. I'm serious. He was killing it at his job and he was watching me and he's going, what you're showing me is much easier than the one I do. And you're spending more time with your family and I want to do that. So can we talk more about that? I'm like, I think you could do it pretty soon if you wanted to. Yeah, to force credit, he did. He was patient with me. I, we had lots of dinners and stuff where he just kind of talked about what he was doing. And uh, yeah, he was definitely an inspiration to me. Since this is basically what you do, you explain what it is, but could you back up and just, you know, how much of your time focus is specifically on syndicating apartment deals? For the investors. So why have you had such success the last two, three years doing the syndication part of part of this? I think it comes from a couple of different ways. Uh, one is communication. I think I communicate with my investors well. Uh, when, once they've invested, I communicate with them on a monthly basis and basically tell them how the property is performing and um, I, I, I basically lay out everything to them, provide financials, uh, everything that they would possibly want to see. But also, even before that, acquiring a property, there's a lot of work that goes into acquiring a property. I mean, I, I have to look at probably hundreds of deals and, and, and run them through my criteria, essentially, uh, before I present anything to the investors. So for me, it's not about just acquiring a property and raising money. It's so an investor essentially is putting their money into these deals. Um, it's it's a it's a, a monumental amount of trust that they're putting into me. So I just want to make sure that when I'm putting together these deals, that that I hit these certain criteria, um, and that it's not just a, acquiring a property just so I can make money or or whatever. Um, but yeah, so just maybe even going into some of the criteria uh, for these deals, um, I, I look at B and C class assets in DFW. Um, so basically your workforce housing, uh, so call it, uh, 40 to $60,000 of family income. And, uh, and I look in DFW one, because I live there and I understand that market Two because Texas is a landlord friendly state, uh, and it's a business friendly state and there's population growth here. So over the next uh, five to 10 years, I, I think I was seeing something that basically 1.5 million people are supposed to move to the Metroplex. So when you're looking at that amount of people moving to the Metroplex and the fact that you can't build new workforce housing, which I would say is uh, 1970s to 1990s product, uh, it, it puts so much pressure uh, on that asset class, like people moving in and, um, it basically keeps the apartments full. So I'm looking at ways to mitigate risk. So when an investor invests, uh, their money, like I, I'm trying to figure out, I, I need to one, make sure they don't lose their money Two, then I can start providing, you know, cash flow and capital gains and tax benefits. But one, I need to make sure I don't lose their money. So I'm looking at ways to mitigate risk. And one is to, um, essentially, again, buy workforce housing in a landlord-friendly state, that population's growing, business-friendly. Uh, and, and with those things, basically the apartments, are they should stay full. How do you, how are you uh, throwing off returns? Not necessarily your returns, but when you're buying these, do you know before you get into it how you're going to structure the deal or does it all depend on what you're seeing whenever you're going through your evaluation? Sure. So 
currently when I'm looking at deals, there's a certain cash on cash or an average distribution that I'm looking uh, to provide and then a total return that I'm looking to provide. Uh, and that, that can change depending on the environment. Right now, I'm looking at like at least an 8% cash on cash or uh, average distribution, and then a 70% total return over a five-year hold. Um, and that could change depending on the, the, the market. Maybe that goes down, maybe that goes up. Uh, so right, But as of right now, when I'm looking at deals, those, those are kind of the metrics that I'm trying to hit. So the, that would be the benefit of syndicating right? Because you're able to say, this is a great deal. I found a great deal. I'm going to pull all my investors together to see who, who wants to execute on this deal versus like a fund where you've got a billion dollars and you're just having to deploy it into whatever deal comes up. Like you can actually cherry pick what deals and then say, this is a good deal. Here's how I'm going to structure it. And that's when everybody gets excited, right? Yeah. So this is different than a fund yeah, because there's basically two ways, like you said, two ways to go about that. I can essentially have the money ready to go and to deploy uh, into an asset. And then my investors don't really know what they're investing in until after the fact. Or I can get the deal under contract, present the opportunity to an investor. They can actually see what they're investing in to decide yay or nay. I like these returns. I don't like these returns. I don't like this asset. Um, it's on a street that I don't like. I mean, it could be anything. Um, but essentially, in terms of when you're asking me, how do I structure the deals? Uh, I look, it just depends. Um, it, I, those are the kind of returns that I'm trying to hit. And if, if, if I can't hit those kinds of returns with all of my criteria, then I just pass on it. I want to jump in with one kind of easy to understand thought process that someone told me about. Someone said, every investment you make has three legs that it stands on. You have the asset, the structure, and the management. The asset in this case would be real estate, but Kurt specifically has a strategy for what he's buying that's going to lead to higher returns than if people invested on their own, even if they're really smart. So the assets he described, the structure of ownership is also something that people look at and i think kurt could talk a little bit about the different ways he structures deals just for a minute but then the management piece this is where a lot of people don't end up wanting to buy an asset is that they don't trust how it's going to be run how it's going to be operated because people are handing a lot of money over and between when they give it to you and when they get cash back that's like the trust the trust time frame i think kurt has an advantage because he's always been a trustworthy person at each stage of life. So when you start out with family, friends, money, they remember that about you. Then they hear your strategy and they want to know what you're doing. But that's I, in terms of trusting Kurt, I think those beginning phases are, are super simple because people already trust him. The place he's at now is really just showing people who he is. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Uh, talking about the structure there, um, so essentially, I was I was mentioning earlier in terms of the time, the kinds of returns that we're looking to provide investors. I mean, sometimes the structure can vary from deal to deal. Uh, we're essentially looking for win wins for everyone involved. So the structure can vary. Sometimes it's a straight equity split, or sometimes we look at uh, IRR hurdles, um, meaning that essentially I have to. Uh, hit a certain IRR before I even get paid as a sponsor. So uh, uh, it, it, it incentivizes me to perform well on the deal. But you're talking about the management piece there. 
um, management is, I guess, from a high level, I'm an asset manager. So I manage the asset and that entails essentially hiring a property manager. Uh, so when the property manager essentially is the one that's running the, the, the deal there. Uh, and I can obviously hire and fire whichever property management group that I, that I choose. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of people kind of get scared away from real estate, and this is even more high level. They get scared away from real estate because they're like, oh, I don't want to change out, you know, the 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 toilets or, or whatever. And, but I don't do any of that either. Like, I'm not receiving calls at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's my property management group that does that. But as an asset manager, essentially, I look to um, monitor the property management company to make sure they're performing that the way that I think that they should per, uh, perform. Um, it's also investor uh, management essentially. So, and that includes, uh, answering questions from investors. It, it includes providing K ones, uh, for investors. It, uh, it's, it's providing them financials, um, and monthly updates. Uh, and you're able to, you have a, like a investment portal. Is that how you're managing all this? So you've got all these people giving you money and then the updates that you're sending, all the documents that you're talking about, that all can get blasted out kind of at the same time to everybody, right? That's right. I do have an investor portal. Um, it's basically a CRM for me. Uh, so all my contacts are in there. But then also once the once an investor invests, uh, they have a username and password, and they can log into my investor portal like they could a, a a TD Ameritrade account, essentially. Yeah, so like they can monitor their right. portfolio. Yep, yep. So it's just another way for investors to kind of feel more comfortable with their investment. They can log in and see that, hey, the property appreciated by this this amount. They can go in and see all the financial statements that I've uploaded. Um, occasionally, I'll upload pictures like of a capital improvement project that we've done. Um, so they can see, hey, we just added a, a pergola. Well, I took a picture of the pergola and I uploaded it into the portal and they can see, oh, that's, that looks cool. That's They're executing on their business plan there and, and adding the amenities that they need and is, they said they were gonna add. Is that unique to have that kind of transparency as to what's going on? I would say, in my background, that was something we always tried hard to do, but it was hard to keep up without the technology that exists now. It sounds like a lot of work without having a, a portal like that, that you can say, you know, here's what we're doing, here's what we're going to do, and everybody can, it's like a fishbowl. Yeah, to be honest, it was I was amazed getting to see what Kurt has going on now because we didn't have that kind of stuff when I was doing this. And Back in I your wish, day? Yeah, I wish we did because that was the number one complaint that investors had was... I wish I could see this stuff if I logged in on a website. So one really big thing I want to I want to take a minute to highlight because at the end of the day, people want to know what kind of returns do I get? Yes. So um, I, my first deal that I purchased was back in early 2019. It was a 35 unit deal in Mineola, Texas. Never been there. Yeah, most people haven't. <laughs> It's got a great burger place, though. You should check it out, East Texas Burger Co. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, it was that. It, so that was my first deal, and uh, we actually went full cycle on that deal in March of 2021. So just a few For months ago. For non real estate people, full cycle me like me. What does that mean? That means uh, purchase to complete, like purchase to sale. Essentially, it like we're I'm done. It, I'm done with the project. Now. Ran it and then correct. Sold it. Okay, 721 days. Yep. Um, so, 
so that was that's really when you're looking at track record that's easy for someone to basically see like how we well we've performed um, so in that particular deal we told our investors that we were going to be around 90 percent total return over a five-year period what we ended up doing uh, performing was a 72 percent return over a two-year period which is a 35 percent uh, IRR so IRR basically is the internal rate of return for the project, right? Which means if someone had a million dollars and they put it in for 721 days with you, Kurt, the IRR would help them figure out per year how much they really made um, versus some people use numbers that it's like, okay, I got this much return, but then it's just sitting in my bank account doing nothing. And right now when, you know, capitalism is at its finest and assets are driving through the roof but cash values are going down they want to be looking at things like the irr you were actually hitting on this with everything that's gone on the last year and a half like what is the the status of real estate especially in dallas more difficult to purchase easier to purchase i mean what's been your experience the last couple years so uh, over the last couple years really over the last 10 years dallas has had a a, a really large run-up um in appreciation um, but even just the last six months, I would say it's been super hot. I wish I had owned everything or bought everything I could possibly see or everything hit the market over the last couple of years. Um, it's really hot right now. And, and it's kind of hard to say what's going to happen in the future. There's some people think that the market's going to crash. And then there's some people that thinks we're going to have another several years of, of run up. And it's really kind of hard to say. But one thing that I can say is that uh, from a from a macroeconomic standpoint, there's a lot of people that are moving into DFW uh, over the next several years, and um, and in uh, the fact that they and the fact that I focus on B and C class assets, basically that supply is not going to increase. I mean, you can't build a 1970s or a 1990s product; it's just too expensive. So when people are building new apartment buildings, it's it's they're going to be charging you know, way more than what, than what we're going to be uh, collecting in rents. That was my question is why does that matter that it was built? You're just, you're able to. So if you're going to basically building it building a new building in order to support the, that building, your rents are going to have to be much higher. Yeah. Everything new construction is going to be super expensive. And when population growth is exploding in a Metroplex, where are the people that don't have enough money going to go? So that's the strategy that Kurt has found to find like great properties. Is it harder to buy with, you're talking about a lot of people come in here, there's a lot of interest. Is it harder to buy? Cause there's, is there a lot of people that are trying to do the same thing? That's correct. So speaking to that, um, one thing that I feel like it's hard to sell, it may be even harder to buy. <laughs> that's correct. It is. It is tough to buy right now. So one of the things that's kind of helped me is I've built a lot of relationships with some of the top brokers here in DFW. Um, so when when a broker is listing a property, there's a, basically there's a couple ways they can go about it. They can essentially market it to the masses, or they can sell it off market. And uh, and even an off market deal is probably going to several different people. But for me, when I'm looking at that situation versus thousands of people looking at the deal, 
I just have a better shot to essentially uh, get the get the terms that I want on the on the deal when I when I'm only competing against call it five to ten people versus a thousand people and then it goes into you know the the property gets bid up and um, yeah I would assume as a broker or as a seller it would be better for me to go to somebody who I know can buy it like you. I'm but, just making an assumption as opposed to saying, oh, highest bidder, let's see what happens and filtering through all that. I'd rather just go to you and say, hey, I, I know that Kurt can execute on this. It might not be the highest bid. I don't know. But I assume there's a lot of comfort in that. That's true. So brokers, from my understanding, they want a good buyer um, and they want someone who can execute. So it may not be the highest price. Sometimes it is. Um, but it may not be the highest price. Their their goal, their objective is basically for the for the uh, transaction to go smoothly for the seller and to get basically top dollar and as smooth as possible as possible for the for the seller. And if if they've got a certain buyer in mind that they know that they can that they can uh, have a smooth transaction, um, maybe even quicker than going through a, an extra sixty days of marketing, then then they may reach out to that person and get that done. I think it's also worth saying that these broker relationships Kurt establishes, it's the same process. People trust Kurt with the ability to close on a deal if he says he can. So last week, I know Kurt sent out an email to raise capital for a deal he's looking at. And I think you raised $3.1 million in about 24 hours. Between me and my partners, we raised $3.5 million from Friday morning to Sunday morning. So... And this is not a new business for Kurt, but that's just to speak to that. I mean, when I graduated and, and jumped into a position raising capital, it took me about two years to raise $3.45 million of capital. And so I think there's a significant advantage to point out that not just like, oh, Kurt's trustworthy, you should give him money, but these brokers see the same thing. So he might have access to marketplaces other people don't have also i was going to ask with your debt financing what kind of what kind of terms are you finding with those guys that's a loaded question okay well i just i know that in terms of an investor's perspective we're looking all friends at here what what do i want to buy right now if i'm convinced that capitalism is surging upward assets are growing what's a marketplace where i can get good access to low cost of capital Multifamily class B and C. How's that going right now? It's going pretty well. So the the debt fi- the the debt piece that you're asking about essentially there. Uh, so for multifamily assets, you can get about the best lending terms than any asset class. And so it's not just me telling you guys that multifamily is is a good investment. Um, the lenders, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they see the same thing. Uh, that's why you can get the terms that we can get. I mean, we're we're looking at up to eighty percent loan to value, um, and interest rates in the low threes. Wow. Um, non recourse debt, which basically means that if for whatever reason we default on the loan, um, the the lenders aren't coming after us. They are uh, essentially just taking the property over. So it doesn't affect. Um, I mean, it it does. They may not lend to me again, but but essentially they're not coming after my personal assets yeah. or the or my investors' assets. Assets. Okay, so I'm I'm 50, 60, nearing retirement, right? I'm looking at the market, considering where to put my money. You've given me some good reasons for 
real estate, class BC apartments and that kind of thing. Absolutely. You know, honestly, for the most of this podcast, we've talked about the win-wins for the investors. But one of our actually main things here is we're actually providing win-wins for our residents as well. So when we come in, we're, we're injecting a lot of capital into these deals and basically making great living environments for people that may not have had it uh, in the past. Um, a lot of the buildings that we take over are buildings that haven't really had a lot of work put into them over the last several years. And so when we go in, we can add, you know, maybe amenities like a, a pergola or a, a stone uh, fireplace grill, or, or we just upgrade the interiors or maybe the uh, exteriors are run down and it needs a new paint job or needs a new roof or or whatever who are you typically buying these from so is it just people who have been holding on to them for a long time or companies that have and they just say we're going to hold this until somebody buys it from us someone like you it depends i mean it, it sometimes they're long-term uh owners they, they could be you know 20 years or sometimes it's it's a company like my own um, that essentially they've completed their three to five year business cycle and it's the property now needs new injection of capital. The, uh, the last thing I have for you is what does the rest of this year look like for you? Sure. So I ha- currently have three deals uh, under our control right now that we're looking to close in around uh, August or so. Um, from, from that point, kind of when we get to a comfortable spot with those, I may end up looking for another deal here on the, in the back half of 2021, but honestly, I may want to give some of these deals uh, some time and uh, make sure that I can again execute for my investors like I've promised. So Kurt, one of the things that is interesting about what you do is it's like an alternative investment. Most people feel comfortable investing in, maybe not anymore, but the stock market, it's been around for forever. You've got stockbrokers out there. This is a little bit different. Can you maybe can you just talk about the differences, maybe some of the benefits of what it could look like investing with you and part of what real estate offers that stock stocks in the market don't? Sure. Um, so this is a very detailed answer. So uh, maybe it could be best. Uh, I have all this laid out on my website, uh, www.jordan j o r d a n multifamily.com. Um, but just really high level. Uh, there's really big three big things that we're kind of looking at with with this investment uh, kind of investment. There's the quarterly distributions. So a lot of stock plays, you don't get the quarterly distributions. Um, so you're getting cash back in your hands. Um, there's the capital appreciation. So when we sell, there's usually a, a pop at the end. Um, and then there's also tax benefits that you're not going to see with, with stocks. And again, I know this is a really complicated answer, and a lot of this is laid out on the website if you'd like more information about it. Beautiful. Well, guys, thanks for making the trip down from Austin uh, and Frisco. I really enjoyed it. Uh, this is informational for me, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Jonathan, man, I really appreciate the invite. Uh, it's, it's great to, to, to kind of tell the story and uh, just hang with you guys. Yeah, man, I enjoy it every time. I'll be on the next one too, I hope, or the next three. No, just kidding. But I do want to say, um, Kurt, with with people that are listening that may have interest, do you want them to go to your website and then sign up for an email list, or do you like to talk on the phone? Have you ever played golf? What's the best way to get in contact with you? Sure. So on my website, there's a contact us portion. Um, which basically 
uh, leads into my investor portal. So when you put your name uh, there, it'll alert me that you basically have interest. And then from there, I will reach out to, to you. Um, you can also email me at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at jordanmultifamily.com. And uh, I do check my email frequently, so I should be able to respond to you. You have a smartphone? I do. (laughs) I'll make sure and link all that up in the the pod. Awesome. Everybody will have it. Well, thanks again, guys. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.